I'm Colby Spencer, and this is Vantropolis. This is Vantropolis, a podcast about the happenings, the goings-on, and the general day-to-day life and antics of the underslept masses working in Vancouver's film industry. I'm no expert. I'm just nosy. And if you are too, let's do this. All right, full disclosure. My first guest is my husband. But he's also worked in Vancouver's film industry for almost 20 years. He started as a production assistant in locations. He moved into the lighting department for well over 15 years. And most recently, he's made a foray into the art department. He's humble and assuming. He's patient and kind. He's the nice guy on set. I know this sounds like a Hallmark card, but it is true. And he's also a wealth of information when it comes to Vancouver's film industry. I'm telling you these things because he would never tell you himself. I've hounded him for years about life on set, so he seemed to be the natural guinea pig for my first episode. I feel like we covered a lot of ground. Everything from film process and protocol to on-set mishaps, and yes, some celebrity stories. Come on, you guys, it's me. Enjoy. So welcome, Tony. Thank you very much for having me. We are coming to you live from the Vancouver Public Library, and we had a few technical difficulties, but... We're still married. So far, so good. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to kind of feel our way through this first episode. It's uh, brand new for both of us, and I'm really excited to have you here. I feel like we'll have really good conversation about film. Um, it's called Ventropolis, and our good friend Jay Rathor, who you used to be roomies with many years ago, um, kind of opened me up to the title of it, and I really did love the title Ventropolis. But I did struggle a bit with worrying that it would fit with uh, the the topic and film that we're talking about. But you kind of had a couple good kind of comments or thoughts about the name of it that I really like. Do you want to share that with the folks at home? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, I work on a lot of DC comic book shows, which are actually very big in this city. They film like The Flash here and Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow and Arrow so those are all DC comic book based movies, which uh, the Superman comic books, obviously the city is named Metropolis and everything is to do with Metropolis. So it's, I just thought it was kind of, kind of neat that uh, a lot of the industry here is based on DC comic books and then you ended up calling it Vantropolis, which is pretty good. And I think the second thing that I like is that people in, Vancouver, at least a certain subset of people, are always talking about how Vancouver is such a major world-class city and is such a big city, right? So basically it is a metropolis in their minds. So, yeah. I love, too, how you said Vancouver never gets to play itself. It's always somewhere else, like Seattle or some Midwestern state. So if Vancouver was allowed to be a city, it would still be a fake city called Ventropolis. <laughs> Oh, I do like that. I like that a lot. So we've been married like six years this year and together for 10. And when I met you online, I should add, folks out there, don't give up hope. Online dating is still a thing and it can be successful. You were working on a Disney dog movie. And so that was my first foray into dating someone in film because you were never available. We could only 
go out on Saturday afternoons because you had to sleep most of the afternoon away because you worked all of Friday night. And little did I know that this was not going to be an abnormal thing. It would be a routine for years to come. Yes. Welcome to the world of film. And yes, the hours are pretty crazy, but I always have a lot of fun when I go there. So I, that's always my trade-off. Uh, I had a lot of jobs before a film that weren't very much fun, but I was home at 5.15 every day. Absolutely. And people always say that, that the film hours are insane, especially our mothers worrying about lack of sleep and uh, heart attacks, potential for heart attacks. But I always personally really loved that you worked in film. I thought it was super cool. And I know that's glamorizing it a bit, but I really was truly very interested in film. And I think that kind of spurred the topic for this, for my podcast, was the interest in film. And I feel like if I feel that way, still after 10 years of being with you, um, many other people are obviously wanting to have the same sort of questions answered. Um, you know, I'd still, I still stalk you from your call sheets, you coming home asking you about scenes and who you worked with and which show. Um, so I'm excited to kind of dive into some of that today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you, why don't we start with how you got into film? Like start from the beginning, because a lot of people ask that. You know, you're, you're a veteran now, I would say in lighting, although I know you're humble and you would never call yourself a veteran, but you are quite fucking old now. So I feel like you've been doing it a while. So let's go back to kind of how you started, because it wasn't a straight line. And for a lot of people in film, I think they expect that it might be a straight line. Um, and it's absolutely not that way for many people. So why don't you give everyone a little rundown on how you kind of started? Because I think it's a pretty cool story. Okay. Yes. I like, yeah, I like how it's not really a straight line. That's a good thing. Um, there tends to be two kinds of people in film, those that had a straight line and those that didn't. And it seems like those that had a straight line probably had a parent or a relative or someone close to them that was already in film. And they probably went to film school whether that was just like a one-year sort of school or to go and actually get their full film degree. And then those people tend to go more in a straight line. They stay, you know, they know where they're going to start, where they're going to enter, and they know their, what their trajectory is going to be, or at least they hope they know. And lots of people in film are like that. Uh, but the majority of people, I think, are more like me who – just ended up working in film or maybe, you know, maybe later in life developed a love for film, which I did when I was younger. My Everything was about music and then somewhere along the way I wanted to start just telling stories or just appreciating stories that were on film instead of just music. So you, you did you go to film school? It, yeah, I, I went to sort of a film school. I went to one of those one-year intensive film school experiences. Which is now out of business in Victoria, British Columbia. Yes, it is now out of business. It's like I guarantee it has no reason to how they ran the school. (laughs) (laughs) You did okay. Yeah. So you're out of school, you're you're how old? Forty (laughs) five. No. You were out when you were out of school. Oh, when I was done school. Sorry, done school, yes. When you were done film school in Victoria. What did what did you do? You came out of the doors. You had your little diploma. Yes, all hopeful and innocent, well slept, no black clothes. What did you do next? No black clothes. All my clothes were black. <laughs> I thought only people in film wore black, but I guess maybe it was a Victoria art thing too. Yes. So what did you do next? You needed to work. What was the kind of journey after that? Well, 
I moved to Vancouver almost right away. I finished uh, the, my film school program in February of 2000 and moved to Vancouver, I think, in March or April of 2000, like a month or a month and a half later. And you reached out with a resume? How did you get work? Yes. I, I remember the, one of the last things we did in film school was learn how to do a film resume which, which was really good, actually. It was really helpful because I remember the first PA job that I got, the, the woman told me that the reason she hired me was that my resume was really good. So that worked. Uh, and PA, felt, PA is production assistant, for oh, those of you right. not in the know. We'll, yes. have to, we'll have to limit the jargon, Tony Dirk. Yes, okay. It's, well, it's the level entryist job of the level entryist job yeah. on set. You're, you're exactly, yeah. Yeah. Right down at the bottom. You're yes. literally sweeping cigarette butts. Yes. You wear a vest all day. It's not because it's not for safety. It's so the rest of the crew can know that they can treat you like shit and have no repercussions. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's true. And you actually have to deal with all the crazies walking by, walking into set, trying to steal shit, yeah. asking you for the hundredth time who's in this show and are they famous. Yeah. Getting yelled verbal assaults on Friday nights downtown. <laughs> downtown on the downtown east side because... They ran into where your set is to like shoot up or something, and now they now you've screwed up their night by having a movie shoot there. And and the thing is, like we joke, but it's really helpful to also be a production assistant. I know a lot of people think they're below it, and especially given how busy it is in Vancouver, you want to just start mid level and roll right in and have like a you know great job on set. But production assistant, I would say, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that's like such a good way to get a sense of the cadence and the rhythm and the routine and ritual of, of a film set. Absolutely. For sure it is. And you, you'll have hours and hours where you're not doing anything some days. So just, just really just sit there and learn. It's like paid film school. And you're, you're also at the bottom of the production uh, scale end of things. So you're going to learn about all those things about, you know, what a one-liner is and what a call sheet is and all these things that, like, quite frankly, a lot of the technician side of people know nothing about, even though they've been doing it for years and years. That's crazy. But that's good. That's good advice. Yeah. Okay, so you're a PA. You were a PA for how many years? Oh, about probably three or four years. Okay. And then you moved into locations? Well, that that is locations. Oh, okay. Like a location. But you PA. moved up then. You moved up. Well, a little bit. Just just a, for a while, I started uh, doing some assistant location managing on commercials here in town, and that that's when I really realized I just I didn't want to. It, it was good to to move up a bit and just realize that wasn't going to make me happy. I I really needed to be more creative. Like I needed to be a technician. I didn't yeah. want to be management, so yeah. to speak. Okay. So then, what happened? Well, then I. Start. I started. Uh, started lighting. Started working as a lamp operator. And what's is, a lamp operator? Well, that's someone who is basically, you know, the person who just runs around set and moving lights around set under the direction of, you know, the head of the lighting department. Okay. Cool. And how many, like, you know, on a regular mid-sized TV show, how many would people would be in your lighting department? Like ten. Okay. Ten people. So you've kind of yeah. stayed in lighting since. Like when I met you, you were in lighting. You're still in lighting. You were kind of doing indies. Um, and for anyone that doesn't know what that is, how can we describe an indie versus like a union show? 
Oh, well, and indie is just short for independent, meaning independent of, of unions. Um, but there are three main unions operating in all film sets in, in pretty much all North America, which is IATSE, which is short for International Association of Theatrical and Stage Employees. Or anyway, it's, uh, it's an international union, and uh, it covers all the North American workers, and then, of course, all the drivers are Teamsters, and then there's the ACTRA and UBCP, which is part of SAG, which is the Screen Actors Guild, which covers all the actors. And so th- then there's this whole other uh, form of production that happens here in Vancouver that's all non-union. So you get paid less and you don't get medical benefits and stuff like that but you know you also don't have experience and it's a good place to start start cutting your teeth so to speak yeah and i mean when i met you you were basically just doing non-union shows yeah and then sort of took a leap and maybe midway through us being together and i would say it was like it was a financial hit for sure because you were getting steady indie work and in order to say yes to bigger shows that might only have you on for a day or two days a week you had to kind of turn down that meal ticket of full-time indie work, but you sort of needed to leap to the next thing, the next level of of your film career. Yeah, that's right. And that, yes, that is a, that can be a big jump. It, is, it can also be daunting, too, for for someone that has spent years on indies, and then just for some reason, you you know, when you show up at a union show, everything's bigger. Like, it's just, the trucks are bigger. There's more of them. There's, you know, there's more actors there's more extras in the background there's more this you know it's just it's just bigger and and it can be kind of intimidating and also the people that have worked there for years in the union uh they can intimidate you as well when you're when they can see that you're just fresh-faced and you know you're a brand new member to the union then you know you're not gonna really get the same respect as a long-time member you got you, you have to earn it i think yeah, and I would I would say since then you've kind of been in full time union world, moving through the television series that grace Vancouver, yeah, all the superhero shows. I feel like you've worked on all the supers, yeah, all the supers, Supernatural, Supergirl, Super Dogs, <laughs> Super Dogs. What was the Disney one called with the dogs when I met you? Oh, Space Buddies. Space They're buddies. all buddies movies. Space Buddies, Snow Buddies. Right. You worked on a lot of buddies. Yeah, a lot of buddies. And then the supers. Um, but you still love it, right? I mean, you have been in, in television world now for many years. Mm-hmm. You know, all the big series we just mentioned. You've also done some feature film stuff before and now. Yes. A couple forays into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've also kind of recently uh, switched over to the art department as a new passion and sort of wet your, wet your feet in that a little bit. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Not as much day-to-day. But no, but I mean, I do... You know, I'm also a visual artist and I'm a very uh, visual person. So I just feel like probably our department is probably the, it feels like the natural fit for me. And so right now I'm just kind of in the position of like knowing a job really well and being quite good at it. So then at that point, of course, when you reach that point in a job, your stress level is a lot lower because you know what you're doing versus the one that you're just entering into. And you've probably entered a couple of rungs higher up the ladder than you should be. Because you already have film experience, so for some people, people trust you a little more, and you just, yeah, it's just it's higher, you know, it's higher stress. So that that's that's the tough part about making it any transition. 
Yeah, and I and I mean, obviously, we have a we're married and we have a small child, you know, who's going to be five in a few days. And watching you sort of leap over to that art department branch has sort of been like back to the indie world a bit because you've you've had to even at your level of lighting to start in another department and take on another department. You've kind of had to go back to that rogue indie world, that scrappy sort of hustle again. So how, yes. how does that feel? Well. It feels good and bad. Like, I mean, it feels bad because it feels, it doesn't feel like security in any way. But I mean, it, in it, like creatively speaking, it's just pure magic. And that in itself is almost like it's worth money to me because, you know, when you enter the indie world and it's, it's a lot smaller scale, then you, you know, you can have creative control over all the, all the details you want to really. You can, Put in the colors you want, the textures you want, all the, all those things. So I mean, as a creative person, that that's just it's really, yeah. Like I said, it's magical. Yeah. So like on a series, you might have a forty person art department, and when you were working on some of the these indies, you were the production designer, the top of the heap, and you had like one helper. Exactly. <laughs> and maybe me looking on Craigslist for. Some friggin' bassinet that you needed to destroy and paint and fatigue and use the next morning, no stress. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, that's obviously quite stressful, but you know, that's it's it's good stress too. You know, it's it's a lot different than having the stress of just you know showing up at a job every day that you're not you're not fully behind. You know, um, actually, I was just listening to this. Uh, a podcast this morning and somebody made a uh made a point that in uh the United States anyway uh 24% of people literally despise their jobs like they hate their jobs and it actually causes them like f- like physical and mental s- distress 24% of people and then something like 57% or something generally don't like their jobs. So it, it, it literally came down to something like 14% of people go to work every day and are happy with their jobs. Now that is incredible. I hate those people and they're liars. <laughs> <laughs> but you, I would say you're probably in that. I mean you have stressful days. I mean, mostly, but I, Yeah, you, you're yeah. pretty passionate about film and you love – Reading about film, you listen to other film podcasts, far more successful than this one currently. Um, you w- love watching film and dissecting film, and not, it's definitely been contagious. You and I, I mean, I love learning about film from you and mining you for information. And, you know, I mine you for a lot of information, probably more <laughs> than you'd like to give. Oh, no. I'm here for you. <laughs> you know, asking you, like, who's on set today and what time? And, I mean, looking at a call sheet, you know, we, you and I joke that – the film industry is run so tightly, and I know you know people listening that work in film are like, yeah, right, it's a gong show. But when you look at a call sheet, and for those of you that have not seen a call sheet, it is like ridiculously detailed down to where the nearest hospital is, what time sunrise is, what time sunset is, you know, when when lunch is, what every single person is doing, what time they're showing up, what scene you're doing, yes, um, what what background you need for that, what props you need for that, what stunts you will need. It's insane. And then a map of how to get there, where to park. I'm obsessed with call sheets. I don't even know why. After all these years, I still because you're an organized person, and that sheet is just pure organization. It is, it and is. I don't know if it runs that way once you get that pretty piece of paper and start living it on set, I'm sure. Well, it depends who your production team is. Most of the time, yes, you will run it, you know. 
Well, I, I joked exactly that how it is. a film set to me is like a cordial military zone. Everyone's friendly, but like, do not fuck around. Don't touch people's stuff that is not in your department. Stay in your lane. Keep your head down and do shit fast. Yeah. And like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like a cordial military zone. Exactly. And I have two stories to back that up. First story, I was a PA on a television show at Disney called So Weird in 2000. It was my first show I ever worked on. And something was in the shot and my ALM just said, oh, just run over and move that out of the shot. Well, it was, turns out it was the grip stuff and I didn't ask a grip. I was new. I just thought I was doing everyone a big favor. And so I moved the stuff and then, yeah, I just got totally yelled at by the key grip. And uh, he didn't even bother to call me by my name. He just called me fucking locations, which is pretty common back in that day. Now, not as much. You wouldn't, I don't feel like people would really get away with that as much anymore. And the second story is when I was an ALM on a big military commercial shooting out in the Delta and a guy who had been in many tours in Afghanistan uh, turned to me and said after a day of shooting on this commercial said, if the military was half as organized as you guys, I don't know how many wars we would win <laughs> or something like that. I'm paraphrasing, but he did say like that. Like you, you ran a tighter ship than the military. Yes. Yeah. It's well, I true. mean, watch a film set roll in and watch them leave. It's like they're ninjas. You don't even know they were there. There's not a, a stone on the sidewalk out of place. And when you do see, you know, a location's arrow on the ground or some leftover evidence of their presence, it's like, um, 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 somebody's in trouble. Like that is rare because it is right. so tightly run. It's impressive to me. I love being near a film set. I'm like a total, um, you know, looky-loo. I'm like watching everything that's happening. I, I'm the person that pretends, you know, I'm just going for a walk, but really I'm just skulking around the set and trying to like, Oh, soak up all the information. That time Godzilla was shooting outside our apartment, you were just in heaven. Yeah, it was a bit they of a They were out case. there for three days. They had the road blocked off. Yeah. They had car, police cars and buses on fire. You were just like, yeah. that was heaven for you. All the other neighbors were bitching and whining, and you were just like in heaven. Well, and I remember going to sleep and the glow of like the lighting, you know, the, the lifts with these massive spotlights literally shining through our evening blinds trying to sleep at two in the morning. Oh, yeah. And I didn't right. even care. I was like, this is so fucking cool. I'm like so excited. I, I, yeah, great. I just, I, I love it. I love being around it. It's it's a good energy. And I think a lot of people feel that way. It's that, it's a bit of magic. It's magic on the streets, you know? Um, yeah, you don't want to lose sight of that. I really try not to. And it's easy to. And I see it does happen to people, you know? I see people that have lost the magic and they're just miserable right because it, it's easy for that to happen you can get burnt out you don't take enough time off it's the middle of the winter it rains every day and yeah you know it's it can be an uphill battle for sure in the winter i mean when well, all that rain like you yeah. know you i always remember the story you told me of when people were up from la a few years ago many years ago shooting something and they wanted to know like the rain contingency plan like what happens if it starts pouring because I guess in L.A., that's a big deal, and you, like, shut it down. You move stuff undercover. That's right. And everybody just looked at them like, we don't have a rain contingency. No, we just keep shooting. We just keep shooting. They call it rain cover in L.A., so they always have, like, an alternate location. And apparently, I mean, I don't know because I've never worked there, and I'm sure lots of it's hearsay. But, I mean, from what I understand, I hear that they're just like, the rain's coming, and they actually, like, try and pack everything up before it starts. So you can only imagine here, it's like sideways wind and rain. And they're just like, let's roll, honestly. And they, <laughs> I think a lot of them, you know, if they're new to coming up here, they just, they just can't see how that actually works. But yeah. it does. Have you been shocked a lot in the rain with lighting? No. No electrocutions, mild electrocutions. Oh, no, mild, sure. But 
You're rolling no. your eyes, but that sounds terrifying. Like well, you're touching a hot light in the pissing rain here, and you're like getting a jolt. Yeah, but it's it's it is it's it's quite rare. It's okay. quite rare. So, what's the difference, kind of, you know, between like you know we've kind of gone all over the place, but films versus commercials versus TV series? You've worked on all three, and you know I think it's it's a very interesting difference of of the way it's run. So why don't you do a little quick run through of that? Okay. Hmm. Well, I've spent most of my time overwhelmingly on episodic television for some reason. I don't I don't really know why that is. I guess even in my locations days it was all episodic TV almost and then now it's always been um yeah, episodic TV for years and years and years. And I think uh when you compare that to a movie, I mean Definitely one thing that stands out right away is just the sheer amount of volume that a TV show shoots per day compared to a movie. I mean, a a feature film generally shoots, you know, one to three pages a day and like a a television series will shoot eight to 12 pages of of material a day. And that's just every single day grinding Pages of the script. Yes, that's pages of the script. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I know you did a little stint on Alpha, that dog movie, um, right? And you showed up on set. That was like a couple of years ago, and yeah. I remember you showed up on set, and I said, "What did you do today?" And you're like, "I literally stood by a green screen and some stairs that went up, and a guy just like called to a dog pretty much all day." Yeah, it was crazy. You were like, like "What else are we doing?" And they're like, and, "Nothing." And, and the funny thing is, is like the, you get paid the most on those on on feature films. It's like tier one movie pay, and it's the, you get paid the most. I mean, I guess because the budget's bigger, but it's just funny because literally it's the opposite. Like you actually have less people to do the job on a TV show and you have way more to do and you get, and you make less money. It's just like, it's like a triple whammy. And then you go on a feature and you you make more money to do less. Well, And I would say it's kind of, <laughs> so. it's almost two different kinds of people because it doesn't seem that people hop around from features to TV that I've seen between you and yeah. all of your friends. Yeah, pretty much. And maybe it's because TV is like, you know, as a family man now, you get a guaranteed income for 10 months. You get a two-month hiatus to kind of rest or travel. And with a film, every few months you're trying to find your new piece, your new piece of work. Yeah. Right? And yeah, then there's commercials true. where you're literally trying to find something every few days. Exactly. Because you're shooting. And the good thing about that is if you hate it, if it's a horrible group of people or it's stressful or it's, you know, the location is challenging, in a few days it's over. It's rear view, you get your paycheck, you move on. Yeah. But a TV show, you better like it and you better yeah. like the people and you better like the way it's run because it's 10 months every single day. Yeah, exactly. And those things can all have an effect. Even if you're working with your regular crew that you always work with for years, if you're working on a show that, ha- that has a bad production team, it's a bad show. It doesn't matter if you get along with your... People are not because what will happen? What will happen is you'll get curveballs thrown at you all the time, and it will just make your job horrible. You know, something as simple as like an, you know an assistant director saying, "Oh, we're not going to shoot in that scene now. We're going to go and shoot over in so and so's apartment set." Well, if you haven't pre-planned that days before, like you just, you can't do stuff like that. But I have worked on shows where they do stuff like that, and it's it's awful. It it creates a lot of extra unneeded stress. And and I know you guys, you know, everybody talks in this town. It's not a very big city. As busy as it is for shows, everybody talks about how bad or good certain productions are run. Yeah, exactly. Some are famous for being badly run and some are famous for being really well run. 
And and some people stay through the whole. I mean, we just went to the Supernatural 300th episode party. Wow, nice name drop. (laughs) Well, you know, people are here. I'm going to get some Supernatural fans now. Hashtag Supernatural. Hashtag CW. SPN family. (laughs) You know what? If I get like four people from Europe because of that, I'll take it. Cool. I hear they're big in Australia too. Um, But we went to that. And the reason I bring it up, not just to name drop Tony Dark. But some people had been at, were at that party and they had been at episode one, season one, and they had stayed and are still on that show today, 14 years later. That's insane. Yeah, that's incredible. And they are like family, you yeah. know? Like that's, that's a crazy run for a show. Well, it's, they are. If you think about it, when that show started in 2005, like there wasn't even smartphones for another two years after that. Like when people started on that show, they, they, they had flip phones. Well, the leads now didn't even have Now they have iPhone have a... 10s. Like, I, I, I know that's just a phone, but, like, when you look at it, like, that's pretty crazy, right? Like, Yeah, and you watch, yeah. And you watch the actors grow as well. They, they get married. They have kids. Like, yeah. everybody evolves, including all your coworkers. Yeah, people have passed away on the show, like employees and stuff. I wasn't no. expecting it to go there. Okay, like, whatever. <laughs> it's a show about demons. <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah, it's true. No, there's, there's births and deaths. Yeah. Um, okay. Including our, including Flynn. He was born, you know. Our little guy, yeah. Yeah, he was born while I worked on that show. And that kind of brings me to sort of the balance of working in film because being married to someone in film, while kind of interesting and exciting, you get to go to rap parties, you know, you get to live uh, in, a, in a sort of little bubble and a world that maybe everybody else doesn't, isn't privy to. Um, one of my girlfriends and I, who I introduced her to someone in film, sorry, you know who you are, um, we joke about being film widows because... There's so much time that your significant other or partner is away um, from the cast all the way down to the to the last person on the crew of just hours and hours away working in yes. television and film. Yes. And if you're the wife of a generator operator or Jenny op. We're going to start a support group. You, you ladies and men, give us a call. <laughs> if you're married to a Jenny op and you need support, I'm here for you. We'll, we'll, do, a, we'll do an episode about that. Yeah. How they, how they make it through. But I think it's probably... The lovely trips that they get to go to with those paychecks. <laughs> That's what I think too. Yes, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, when we had our little guy and he never slept, and I mean, you would leave for work, you would go out the door, and you were not going to be back for fourteen to fifteen hours, and I would literally burst into tears. Yeah, because I was like, "How am I gonna?" You know, and I had friends that said, "Oh, oh I had to wait till five o'clock," and whoever got home, and I'm just like, "You don't even know. You don't even know." You know, it's just, it's like pitch black when you leave, it's pitch black when you get home, and then it's four more days in a row, and then the weekend. So it's it's a trial. It's a, it's a hard go. And you can't have, from what we've seen, it's hard to have two people working in film as a couple. And if you have children, it's next to impossible. It takes a village for sure. So let's talk about some of the shows you've worked on, because I know everybody's curious. I feel like uh, you've worked on a multitude of shows going way back, mm-hmm. some of the OBGs. As I said uh, when I mentioned earlier, So Weird was the first show. And here's another thing to point out. That show, when I was working on in 2000, was shot on Super 16 film. Which show? So Weird. Oh, So Weird, right. Yeah. I thought you were saying it was So Weird. No, that was the first show I worked on, and it was shot on Super 16 <laughs> film, so... And you worked on a couple other big shows back then. You worked uh, on The Dead Zone. Yeah. What was that like? That was a big show for the city. Was it? Was it a pretty... Yeah, I guess I, it was. I feel like it was. It was yeah. like everybody remembers The Dead Zone. Okay, good. You know, I certainly do because I spent season three and four on there, I think. Yeah, three and four, the whole seasons. And you worked on a couple others. 
As a PA? Well, just anything, pre, pre the big ones. Oh, yeah. Kind of the early days. Yes. Where we didn't have these massive um, network productions like we do now. Yeah, that's right. It was still it was, a bit more innocent, was, I would say. It was more innocent back then, and it was a bit more rogue, I think, for sure. And you know what else? It was a lot more unhealthy in those days. More people smoked, more people drank, more people did drugs. The food was not as good as it is now. I mean, those are some really key things that have changed. I mean, if the time when people used to be, you know, when I first started, lots of times when it was the end of the week or say it was the end of an episode or something, the director or the producers or whatever would spoil the crew by rolling in a garbage can, garbage cans full of ice and beer. Like you would just never see that now. And it's, no. you know, and we're only now talking 16, 17 years ago. Well, exactly. You would see kombucha, <laughs> you know, or like. You know, somebody's organic gelato or something. You know what I mean? It would be something like that. It wouldn't be booze, <clears throat> which is probably a good thing. Let's be honest. Well, you know what? And like the military, I would say food is very important on set. You know, it's like when you see these, you know, Mighty Machine shows that our kid watches and it's about submarines and, you know, these massive naval ships. Food time is so important for your morale and your yes. motivation and to keep you kind of happy and upbeat. And yeah. I would say it's probably the same for film. Everybody talks about if craft services is garbage or yes. if the catering food, it, they're just phoning it in. Or if you get rewarded on a, like I was joking, you get rewarded on a Friday with a food truck. Like that's a big deal. It is a big deal. Absolutely. And I've been on shows, Who Shall Remain Nameless, that have lit- that have gone through like five catering companies in, e- in one season and they fire like four out of the five. And that's just because they get, they get so, you know, they get complaints from the crew. If the crew is not... Like, if we can't eat good food, then what do we have, you know? And on the flip side of that, my brother works in craft services, and hopefully he'll eventually come on the show as well. Um, Sometimes the budgets are garbage, and he's like, I can't feed people well with this money. And you're scrimping, but you're going to hear about it. I can do it. I'll get by on crap stuff from Costco, but you're going to hear about it in a couple weeks. Everyone's going to be fed up with all this carby crap. So it's kind of both ways. If a production is stingy... You know, well, it's true. I mean, as an example, when you when you want to watch people, you know, watch what can happen. Just a few weeks ago, it was a it was a late Friday night shift, and we worked till about two o'clock in the morning. It was raining, it was gross, and then so what they have is you know these craft service, they they bring out something that's called a hot snack, and everybody that works in film, I can hear your collective chuckle right now, but. Uh, you know, they bring out this thing called the hot snack and it's about three hours after you come back from lunch and hopefully around three hours before you wrap for the night. Well, what happened is these craft service people don't really care. It's pretty obvious. They brought out a these hot snack. Yeah, on this yeah. particular show, not all craft service people. Yeah, on this particular show, they brought out a really terrible hot snack. So nobody ate it. But up, over and above that, what a bunch of the crew members went and got uh, like fast food, like our whole team went and got like veggie burgers and whatever from A&W and then the Grips went and got a bunch of stuff from McDonald's. So instead of eating, not only did they not eat the craft service food, they took all their wrappers from the fast food and threw it all into the uneaten uh, craft service food. Ouch. Yeah. Anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of love it though because that's how you keep people in line. Well, voice your discomplaint. So actually on the Monday after that weekend – the craft service was incredible. Like they ordered in a special, like special Indian food from this lovely Indian restaurant and stuff. So, I mean, they got the message for yeah. sure. I love that. Yeah. They, yeah, I guess. Storming yeah. the crafty trailer. 
with, with, with fast with food wrappers. wrappers. But, but vegan burgers because it is Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, the veggie burgers from A&W. <laughs> so Vancouver. That is a delicious uh, burger, by the way. Yeah. I'm glad they've done that. And they're not paying us to say that. No, they're not. Beyond me. But if they want to, I don't have any sponsors. I will gladly take them. So let's talk about a couple crazy stories because, you know, part of why I wanted to do this was informational, you know, people that don't know about film. We're going to have many different guests on from all different departments and walks of life in film. But I also want to know the kind of glory stories. I like the crazy shit that goes on. I remember them. And when we're at parties, I tell them and Tony cringes, you know, because he's just like, shut up, Colby. Like, don't tell people this stuff. But they love it. They eat it up. There's a reason I tell them because it's awesome and fun and you don't know this stuff if you're not on set. You know, you don't hear about it. And it's funny because when we walked into the Vancouver Public Library, it's a beautiful building. If you're not familiar with it in Vancouver, it kind of looks like the Roman Coliseum, but less battered. And Tony and I were walking through the entrance to come and do this podcast because they have beautiful sound booths here that are free with your library card. Unbelievable. And I said to him, do you remember when you shot the Supergirl episode here and this library flooded? And he was like, oh, my God, yes. And I remember that like it was yesterday, and it was probably two years ago. Yeah, or more. Oh, no, actually, it was just a little over two years ago because it was just pre-Christmas break. So tell us what happened because I'm sure everybody's dying to know like I was. Well, I mean, without getting into specifics. About, yeah, don't, like, like, who's, don't call out anybody. Yeah, no, no, I won't like throw anyone under any buses or anything. But, I mean, what happened was uh, essentially I think what happened was we were shooting in there all night. And, and just to point out, it's, it was actually in the atrium of the library, not where the books are, the main. Yeah, right? there's a beautiful so, like three-story atrium yeah, of glass. I think and- it's five. It's gorgeous. It's huge. Everything from like the sixth day with Arnold Schwarzenegger was shot in there. It's a very cool, futuristic sort of looking building. It looks It's always great. like a headquarters for yeah. tech companies. FBI and- headquarters that's played and everything, right? So anyway, we were shooting in there and somehow we shot all night and all the heat built up. And what happens is you, you shut off all the uh, smoke detectors and fire detectors and all that because you know that it's going to get warm. There's also going to be atmospheric smoke. So you just turn that off, right? Standard practice. What happened was it heated up all night and then somehow in the morning the system was reset and it was still, the air was still hot. There was still smoke in the in the air and everything from shooting. So un- unfortunately uh, the alarm started going off and the guy that was in charge of whatever, the library, he was our liaison, he just... He looked very stressed and then suddenly all the sprinklers just let go. And I can tell you that I've never knew those sprinklers had so much water. Uh, the water, it was just, it was just shocking. Like but reassuringly effective in a, oh, yeah, in a time of need. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like and I always just thought it was like a sprinkle, but it is like a shower of from buckets. It is nuts. Yeah. Biblical rain. Yeah, yeah. But indoors. Yeah, like there is like rivers of water flowing and like... Yeah. All, and it all leaked are. down. I mean, it was on the news. And, and that's the funny thing about working with a husband in film is when he's on set and AWOL and I don't know what he's doing, I just go to Twitter and Instagram because you can read about what they're doing because people are walking by sets. They're taking photos. I've seen photos of you on Twitter working. Like you couldn't live oh, a double right. life yeah, because did. I can literally see you working. I just like Google the name of the show or the movie and there's like onlookers taking pictures. And I remember you worked all night. It was an all-night shoot. And I woke up. It was, whatever, 7 a.m. And I remember I got my phone just cruising through. 
and I saw that the Vancouver Public Library was flooding and it was cascading down into the, wasn't there a parkade and there was like going to be a book sale yeah. with some used books. They were all soaked. It was yeah. mayhem. It was all over the news. Yeah, and I was I'm like, lucky about the used books. That Those all got ruined. But none of the, you know none of the no. books inside the library. Maybe they don't even let film crews in there. Like I, I hope they don't. I hope I'm okay to say that, but I, I hope they don't let them in here. But it was insane. Is, but yeah. but I kind of love that stuff because it's nuts. You never know what's going to happen. You know, for better or worse, crazy stuff can ensue. It's, it's not true. your average job. Yeah, it, it ended up being funny. Like what? So what happened is like it just kept coming, and the water kept coming. Then the water ended up being like a foot deep and stuff. And then it became this fun game of like running in in the deluge and rescuing your gear. So like it was like the camera guy would come running with like batteries and he'd be like, yeah, I got the batteries. And then the rest of the crew would yell like, yay. And then they'd run out and then the lighting guys would run in and try and rescue some of their lights that were literally like under waterfalls of water. And uh, of course we shut down all the power and. You know, so it was safe, yeah. That could but, have been terrifying. But uh, anyway, yeah, it was quite a quite a night. I love that story though, and I love that we're here at the library. It was very fitting for this podcast. Another crazy story that I love to bring up is the night you were shooting in a lift. So, yeah. in, if you're in lighting, you're in a. You can you know explain what a lift is. Well, it's just one of those uh, platform. It's called an aerial platform lift, and it's. You've all seen one. They mostly construction uses them a lot, like painters when they have to get up like 10 stories high to paint the outside of a building. And it's just like a little bucket that can hold a couple of people that can go up, you know, up to 135 feet. Yeah, you make it sound so chill and then you say up to 135 feet. Yeah. And then I always freak out when I know you're going to be in that thing overnight. I like see a future as a widow with my child and you died in a lift accident. A real film widow, not just. Yeah, not not an anecdotal film widow. Okay. Well, they're pretty safe. Anyways, that's what a lighting lift is. So they put them up sometimes at either end of a set when you're outside. If you're in the forest or in the city, it doesn't matter. You use it as a light, like a backlight. From So you were doing a night shoot. We don't have to say which show it is. Yeah. You were out in kind of near the U.S. border, right? It was like sort of, what do you want to say, like rural yes, country rural roads. Yes, rural South Surrey. Rural South Surrey. And you were up in that lift yes. for the whole night and shooting sort of – um, like a like a, a vehicle coming down a road, and without saying the show, you know, it was alien esque. Yeah, I think the car was stopping. It was a TV series, and sort of like an alien abducts the vehicle or the people. Or yes, whatever. that's right. That's exactly the yeah. scene. An alien was abducting a woman out of out of right out of the sunroof of her car. That was the scene. Yeah. I'm psychotic. I remember yeah. these things sometimes yeah. more than you. You're like, what? What show is that? So you're up in this lighting, this lift. It's yeah. the middle of the night. You're shooting this car over and over, coming around the corner, and there's yeah, going to be some stopping. special effects in post-production. Yeah, absolutely. Cut, yeah. start again. And then what happened? And then I just looked up the road and saw some, like, headlights came down the road at, like, a very high rate of speed, and then they just locked up the brakes when they saw the set, but only for, like, a few seconds, and then they proceeded to hit the gas and go driving right towards the set. And... All the film, all the crew was there shooting around the around the car and everything that they were shooting, and uh, so they all just I just uh, saw at the last second the car went right through set. A bunch of people jumped, like literally leapt out of the way, like jumped for their lives, kind of thing. And then uh, the car came right down through set towards me because I was on the, I was on the far side of set in the lift. And then I just heard someone on my radio, the gaffer, who's the uh, head of the lighting, just say, 
whoever's in that west lift, you better get down and hold on. And, and uh, I looked down and I just saw the car coming right towards it. And at that moment, I realized that we had camouflaged, the greens department had camouflaged the bottom of the lift with uh, black tarps and camouflaged tarps. And then around that, they put trees. And this is so that they can shoot, like point the camera right at the lift and they won't see it, right? It's because it's in the shot. So that crossed my mind and I just thought, uh-oh, like that doesn't help my cause at all. And you can't get down quickly. You're 100 feet Oh, up. yeah, you're 120. Like it takes five minutes to come down. And this car is going to be like at me in like three seconds. Anyway, so then and then it, it, the the road gets to like a ninety degree turn and goes over some railroad tracks right at my lift. So I just think, oh, this car is going to slam right into the lift. And uh, anyways, so he didn't hit the lift. He somehow went like a four wheel slide around that corner, and then we had police on set that night because a lot of times you will have police with you just, you know, for situations like that or managing crowds or just whatever. Like sometimes a permit demands that you have police, especially when you're downtown. And the police love those shifts for the record. Yeah, they do. They get paid like double time on their day off. Good food. pretty sweet. Yeah. A lot of standing around. I love police, but come on, guys. It's an easy job. Yeah, it's pretty good. Anyways, also on this night, uh, this uh, the police on set suddenly had a job to do. So I mean, they, the he, the one uh, officer came speeding down the road, like right after him in just mere seconds. And then I just hear uh, again my gaffer. He say, uh, "Hey, point those lights at the fleeing car just to help the police." So I did. I had like huge uh, eighteen thousand watt lights. Uh, so I just point those right over, and I'm just literally acting as I'm. A, literally acting as, you know, uh, a helicopter, essentially, just following this car as it's being pursued by the police. And they, they definitely got him. He ended up going off the road, and they're like high-speed chase through a farmer's field. I could see the whole thing. I'm just like highlighting it the whole way. And they got him eventually. And the story was, after they came back and everything, the guy had told them he, that he was so drunk and he was coming down there to do who knows what. It's a dead-end road. Uh, he thought it was a roadblock. He thought the film shoe was a roadblock. And so he thought That's he would sweet just justice, try and run the roadblock down, I guess. As uh, you do. As you do. Yeah. And then what could go es- wrong? escape to the end of a dead-end road and then go running through a farmer's field and then into blackberry bushes. By the time the guy came out, apparently he was like almost skinless because he had been running through blackberry bushes for like a kilometer. <laughs> As you do. I love that though. Yeah. I love it. I love everything about it. Justice was served. You yeah. were safe. You know what? What's what's to and not it's like? Legendary. About that? It was legendary. And the first thing, and that also happened to me. My that was my first day on that show, and it was the third day of shooting on the show, and then ended up on that series for every day after that till it wrapped. It was like my uh, it was my inaugural uh, introduction to the show. And I remember that show and many others. You. You know, you end up working all night and sleeping all day, so you're you're totally turned around. People in film like to call them fratter days, right? Where you work a fratter day, so it's a Friday so late that you're basically done on Saturday morning, and then you have to sleep yeah. all day on Saturday. So it essentially becomes almost a six day week yes. before you've woken up and sort of, you know, seen the world and and try to get your life back for exactly. like thirty six hours, really. And then you're back on set on Monday morning. So that's why a lot of feature people hate TV shows because they just hate that. Just a grind. That grind for months, right? But then there's always like the famous feature films here like The Revenant. Everyone jokes mm-hmm. about The Revenant and how yeah. hard it was on people. They burned through crew. 
for many different reasons, but just a grind, you know? And, yes. And everybody talks about it. I mean, I think you were considering working on it because it was kind of exciting, or of at least course, I was yeah. excited with Leonardo DiCaprio and... And Inaritu at the helm. And people were like, don't do it, buddy. Yeah, don't do it. Every single story I heard was a horror story. Every single one, except the one from Crafty who said that Leo loves uh, eating uh, grilled cheese and uh, hot chocolate. That's all he cold. asked for. That's all he asked for. <laughs> yeah. He just so. wanted those. So she said, I made the best hot chocolate yeah. and the best grilled cheese sandwich in my With life. Ketchup. Apparently likes ketchup. But who doesn't like ketchup on grilled cheese? And I would be carb loading on that movie. Like yeah. you're in the backwoods of British Columbia. I heard they had grizzly alerts where they'd have to stop shooting. And right. he wanted to shoot a lot of natural light, which obviously in the winter you don't get a lot of that. So it was just dark days. Yeah. And I mean, the carbs would help. Let's be honest. They would help, yes. Hot chocolate and grilled cheese. What, I got to ask you about celebrities. I know you always roll your eyes about this. I know, but I do. I love the celebrity stories. And, I, you know, we're obviously not going to, this is not a celebrity show, but mm. I think we should touch upon it. And whether you like it or not, I'm going to. Um, what, what are some celebrity stories? I know you've told me a few, and if you don't give me interesting ones, I'll just force you to give me the ones that I know. Celebrity stories. Well, working with like. actors. You've worked with famous directors. You've worked with famous actors. You worked on Twilight, which was crazy. It's um, true. You know, it's funny about celebrity stories. You could tell them, and then like, and then if that ever celebrity ever heard them, it, it would be it would be pretty hilarious. Like, I wonder if they would remember it. You know, I feel like, like it's hard to be a celebrity because oh, you have one be. bad day, and especially on a set where you might not be getting along with the director, or you're having a shitty day, and now you have to do this scene that demands a lot of you, and then everybody around you is observing your bad behavior, and then that's all they remember. Exactly. Which sucks. Yeah. But you're also a millionaire, so the empathy is so limited. So suck it up. Yeah, because yeah, so a- lots of us go, oh, you have to come out of your trailer like and act for five minutes? Well, we've been out here for three hours setting up this shot. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're, and then you're out in the rain for like 30 seconds, and you're like crying for your umbrella and your warm-up your warm coat and stuff. So, and it, do you it, see it, a lot it, of it, that, though? Mm, I do see a lot of that from... B-list actors. Yeah, you kind of say that. A-list. The A-list is... Never A-list. And I have friends that worked on A-list films, and people like Matt Damon and stuff are absolute gentlemen. Yes. Like, they're lovely, gracious human beings. Yes. I've heard... Well, I have many friends that worked on Elysium, yeah, and they, of course, like, I've never heard anything bad about Matt Damon. They he say remembered he's just, everybody's name on set. He would come yeah. to set and know all the crew's names. Like, they were in awe. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Kevin Smith is infamous. I mean, working on Supergirl. So many people in the city have worked with him. He is insanely loving and generous and kind and brings Timbits yes. to set. And Well, he did pre-heart attack. He did pre-heart attack. That's true. Bring Timbits now. Now it's Broccoli Bites. <laughs> <laughs> but he's amazing, right? And, yeah. and he was one of the people I remember that would stop a scene at the end and say, you guys, we're working in a spaceship right now. Like this is yes. fucking unbelievable. Look around. It is. It is. Like, yeah. And he, you know, he's not, he, he's talking to crew members that, you know, He's talking to people that have forgotten what they're doing, right? He's lots of people just, you get in the groove, you show up, you know, you know, and he just says like, remember what we're doing? Like we're working in a spaceship, making a TV show about aliens attacking the earth. Like, you know, we could be working at, well, I don't want to insult somebody by saying a job, but you know what I mean? Like you could be not doing this. And it's a grind. So I get you're worn down. It's like being a parent. You're worn down and people are like, Treat every day like it's magical. You're not yeah. going to have these one day. And you're like, I know, but it's Tuesday at 2 p.m. And my kid puked all night and I'm so tired. And now he doesn't want to eat anything that I'm offering him up. <laughs> I'm not seeing the magic right now. I understand there's magic. 
I think it's kind of similar, right? You're, of course you're, it is. It's, it's a grind. It's still good to hear that. It's still good to read those memes about being a parent and stuff, right? Because you do get reminded that, you know, your life is pretty good. Yeah. And that's the same in, you know, in film. You show up something to something different every day. So what are some of your celebrity encounters on set? And I, again, I know, just for the record, I'm dragging these out of Tony Dirk because I know that he has some and it's easier to do it to my husband and I want them for my content. Oh my goodness. But like, give me a couple. You've got, you know, what about your cigarette story? That's a good one. Oh yeah? Okay. You know, the Baldwin Yeah, okay. Story. It's a pretty famous story. I've had people come out to me like years later and say, Man, that was so cool, like people that were there and, and saw it. So tell everybody what happened. But, uh, anyways, uh, in 2001, I worked on a, a film as a PA, van driver PA, which is a van driving P- production assistant. That's a special job where you, every locations department has a van, and inside the van you carry around cones, garbage cans, garbage bags, brooms, mops, all the things that signs, all those things that make a location work for the rest of the crew, right? So I, I had that as a job. As an aside to that, many yeah. jobs in film, you could be a serial killer and nobody would know. Right. Because you've come home with zap straps, like I said, <laughs> black tape, you're gone all night, you have the van. Yeah. You know, it's very Dexter. It is. And you're gone for hours at a time. You really could be anywhere. Oh, I was at a cell reception. Or you're murdering people. Whatever. But, but carry on. <laughs> so... Uh, we were shooting down at uh, Ajitan Studios for weeks. Uh, it was our main set. And Stephen Baldwin was the star of the movie. I won't name the movie. I don't even know if it got released because, funny enough, another aside, the movie was called uh, it was called Green Mail and it was about a guy, an eco-terrorist who was bombing. And then shortly after, like right after that movie was done, 9-11 happened. And I heard that they never released it because of that. But anyways, it's probably come out on video since. Somebody look it up and let us know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Somebody look it up. I don't know. IMDB it. Uh, anyways, so Baldwin. Baldwin was... Uh, he was kind of a weird guy, to be honest. Like no. he was, yeah, he was. I'm Which not Baldwin kidding. are we talking oh, about? Oh, Stephen. Okay, because we the, should specify about weird Baldwins. There's quite a few. It's true. It's true. Um, but he he is obviously the weirdest one. But uh, he 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 uh, he was a smoker at the time. But I feel like he was like in denial of being a smoker. Like he was just like not buying them essentially. And I was a smoker back then, so I you know I always I was always smoking outside the door or whatever. And had, uh, you know, smokes on me. So he'd always come out of like after acting or, you know, finishing a scene or whatever. He'd come out and be like, you know. And well, it started out with him being like, hey, man, uh, can I borrow a cigarette? And like, you know, a two weeks later, it was just like literally he would come out of the door and be like talking to other people. And would like literally just look at me and put his, like, put his hand out. Like, give me like, you know, like give me a smoke without even saying give me a smoke. And it, it just became this thing where, you know, I started, you're a it started to assistant. anger me. It started to anger me because I'm like a PA. I'm the lowest per- paid person on set. I'm basically getting minimum wage. And anyway, so eventually after a while, I was just in a particularly bad mood one day. And he he came out and he was talking to his assistant or whatever. And he just did that. He just put his hand down and just said, hey, man, uh, you know, you're the millionaire actor. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the PA here. Like, I don't, why don't you get your own smokes? And... He just looked at me like incredulously, like, but there was also like quite a few other people standing around, right? And so everyone just kind of, no one said anything. And then he just like put his arm around me and he's like, I like this guy, <laughs> which is, you know, like, 
alpha actor speak for like this guy just schooled me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I would punch you in the face, yeah, but I can't. Probably. So you're my friend now. Yeah. Something like that. Anyways, it was it was it was it was pretty funny. And a lot of other crew members saw it and they thought it was they thought it was really great. They thought it was really funny. Maybe that's why he quit. <sighs> Wouldn't that be good? Yeah. He quit smoking because of that encounter. Yeah. I saw him shopping at Century Twenty One in New York City once. <laughs> Did yeah. I would have gone up and said something to him, but it just wasn't an opportune time. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I also like the story about William H. Macy playing ukulele on set. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. He directed. Oh, I love how you're pulling these out of me. So good. I have so yes. many. Oh, I have he's, so many. He is such a lovely man. It's crazy. But I think people kind of always, I feel like I always assume that about him anyway, although I have assumed that about other people and then met them and then thought, obviously, the opposite. Your POS. Yeah, exactly. But yes, which Mr. is heartbreaking, Macy actually, is isn't it? It's heartbreaking. I worked on almost on the whole movie, The Layover, which he directed. I think it was maybe even his directorial debut. So I worked on that movie, and that's where I learned, which I didn't even know about him, that he is basically a virtuoso ukulele player. And all day on set, he has his little ukulele. He has it at his video village in his chair, or just he walks around set giving giving actors, you know, advice and stuff the whole time playing this ukulele. Just amazing. I and you guys it, jammed at the end, didn't you? Yeah, we all well, play guitar. He, yeah, he would. Yeah, I mean, there would be lunchtime jams. It was a very musical crew, actually. The, all the camera guys, or a few of them, and a couple of the grips, and me, and. We would sometimes at lunch we would jam and he would jam too. Like he would bring up bring out the ukulele and jam, and uh, yeah. So I'm just thinking, you know, that's another one of those times where you have, you know, you look at yourself and or you look at what you're doing and pinch yourself. Yeah, and, pin, and pinch yourself to be, you know, cliche. That's amazing though. Yeah, I can't think of any others unless you can, right off the top of your head of. Celebs. Well, there is the story of on the movie Vendetta of me. Jumping through the shot. I where, love this. I forgot. <laughs> where, so uh, this was a film with uh, Dean Kane. Dean Kane, who's a lovely guy, is he not? Yeah, he he's really a lovely is. guy. He shoots yeah. here a lot. Yeah. yeah, lovely guy. He was Superman. Yeah, he has a recurring uh, role on Supergirl as well now. Oh. Or he did. Maybe he's not on there now, but he was. And so you guys were shooting at Riverview, which is. A now yes. closed mental institution in yes. Coquitlam, British and Columbia. And you'll, you'll definitely. Uh, audience be hearing more about Riverview for sure because you cannot talk about Vancouver film and not talk about Riverview. Notorious location. I might do some notorious locations and that's top of my list because some people feel like it's haunted. There's all kinds of creepy stories. It has a bit of a sordid past, etc. So you're shooting Vendetta. Yes, we are shooting Vendetta, yes. High high cinema. High. (laughs) Oh, no. Actually, you know what? Did you just say it wasn't actually at Riverview? Oh. It didn't take place at Riverview. Wasn't there a jail? Wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, but, it, but that actual story didn't take place at Riverview. Oh, okay, fine. Carry on. Ignore that it's at the wrong place, but okay. the story's still good. Yeah. Anyway, it's That's at a battery factory. That's what I get for factory. interrupting you. It's at, an old, old ba- yeah. it's at an old battery factory in Maple Ridge. Just like our marriage. I interrupt you, and then you're like, actually, that's wrong. And I was like, oh, okay, we'll just keep going. And you're like, god damn it. One more year. <laughs> Get through one but, more year. But uh, anyways, the movie Vendetta, it also starred that, uh, the big wrestler whose name escapes me. Yeah, I looked him up. It's not Andre the Giant, but it's no, like. No, no. It's he, but he is a massive, massive man. I believe his name is Big Show. That is his the name. The Big Show. Big Show. 
Okay. So this man is massive. If you do not know who he is, look him up and you will it will make the story better because you'll be mind blown. You'll have Anyways, faces to the names, yeah. Uh, big show was some kind of, you know, as I always follow along with the script so closely, I don't know what his character was. But anyways, in the movie, in this scene, he was on a bridge, like a bridge inside of a big factory. And it was his death scene where Dean Kane was shooting at him with like a machine gun. And he was shooting back at Dean Kane, but in the ensuing, he you know he took a bunch of bullets and was shot to death. And uh, I didn't know they were rolling. I didn't know it was this what was going on. But I, I, my boss just yelled in my in uh, the radio, uh, "Can someone please make it uh, make it across the bridge just to turn turn out this light or something like this?" So I you know I said copy that and headed out. I mean, went running across that bridge, and just at that moment. I saw a big show getting shot at by the effects guys who use these little things called Zerks or Zorts or Zerks, I think. And they're like a paintball gun with like little, they cause sparks to fly when they, when it hits metal. So it looks like someone's shooting at you with a real gun and they're ricocheting and all that. And at the same time, Dean Kane's shooting at him with a machine gun full of blanks. But I didn't realize this until I was literally almost uh, running into big show. And so there's like, you know, uh, Zerk's ricocheting off the bridge and Dean Kane shooting and and then uh, Big Show's like in his death scene and he's falling down like he's getting shot and falling down but just as he's falling down he just kind of like looks over and sees a lamp off me come flying through the air like over top of him as he's falling down in his death scene and nobody stopped like nobody stopped what they were doing he continued the death scene he probably thought like weird utter but confusion okay. yeah and like Dean Kane kept shooting their blank, so that's fine. Um, and then the next thing I see is half of the film crew on the other side of the bridge, including the first AD and second AD, just with the most like incredulous looks, and they're on their faces like, "What have you done?" Like they looked at me as if I had just killed a baby. Like I'm <laughs> not kidding. They looked so irate and just like incredulous that I would do such a thing. But I didn't even know that they were filming. You were trying to move a light. I was you trying were to move a light. Head down. Yeah, head down, baby. And that's what can happen. Tunnel vision. Anyway, what a story. And it doesn't end there as an epilogue. The next morning, Big Show came up to me and he said, Wow, that was pretty uh that was pretty crazy yesterday, man. What happened there? And I so I kind of, you know, I told him the abridged version of the story and he laughed and laughed. He thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And then he said, Yeah, you want to thumb wrestle? Because he knows his hand is like about four times the size of mine. And I said, uh, yeah, sure. And then he, we reached out and had a thumb wrestle, and it was like one, two, three, four. I declared a thumb war, and then he just went, <laughs> squeeze my hand. Broke your and fist. And I lost, and, and that was it. That he was just like gave me a hug, and that was, you know, that was it. But it was, it was amazing. I love it. Yeah. You've been, you've been in the way a few times. I remember you did some other shoot and Aaron Paul was trying to do a scene. You were like crouched behind him and trying to do what you do. Because you're, you're basically, you are in tunnel vision. You, it's very stressful on set, you know, and, and when you have to do something on set and there's actors involved and they're waiting, time is money. Yeah, like a hero light. They call it a hero light and it just means like it's, it's you may have to walk with the actor as they're, as they're walking and talking or something because they say they have, they have to walk a long way and they're not lit by enough light. So you actually put a light on a pole and walk in front of them as they're doing a scene. And that, you know, yeah, that can, that can be stressful. Like for a veteran, for a new person, I almost feel like a new person. It's not as stressful because they I don't know like. What's at stake. Yeah, they almost don't know the gravity of it. You know what I mean? Well, some like, people don't like working on set. It's, no, they it's don't too at stressful all. Yeah, I've them. seen people just fall apart. Like people that 
um, work in prep jobs, like lots of set decorating rigging. and lots of rigging and stuff. They never go near set. And I've seen people just fall apart near set, like literally just run away. But it can be a nice you change know. of pace from being – so, for example, if people don't understand what we're talking about, on a TV show like Supernatural, they have massive sound stages with sets that they've built. And often you can be there for days and no one's shooting anything. You're just setting setting up, setting up, painting. Yeah. You know, you're not painting, building but the building the sets, wiring <laughs> yes. the sets. You might never see an actor for days and days and days. Yes. But when you're on set, it's go time all the time. And they get you to do things and then they stand and wait while you have to do it. That's right. Everyone stops and looks at you and says, can you fix that light? And your heart's just pounding. But I imagine it's kind of a rush, too. I would, I would yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, for nice sure. Nice mix, right? Yeah. Well, we're running out of time. And by running out of time, I just mean we don't want this to go too long and bore people to death. I always think of Russell Brand when he was on a show once and they said, well, we've run out of time. And he said, no, you have not run out of time. Time is infinite. Time is never ending. <laughs> so that's... Just a little sidebar. Nice. Um, I just wanted your final thoughts on kind of the Vancouver film industry, where it's going, how you've seen changes, because you've been at now for what? How many years? 15? Longer than that. We're, no, we're uh, getting well, old. Well, I mean, I went to, I mean, I consider my film school film too. I worked a bit, like took days off school, even when I was still in school to work in film and right. TV in Victoria. So that was 99, so 20 years. So you've touched, you've touched yeah. on some things, like obviously the way some trends have changed with eating and mm-hmm. what you can get away with and yeah. sort of that. The Me Too movement The Mad Men style. Late. The Mad Men style of drinking and excess is kind of gone, yeah. mostly. Mostly. Um, but well, yeah, how do you feel? I mean, you, you've noted even now in 2018 and 2019 the, the prevalence of female directors and things that maybe weren't as common before are really becoming more prevalent. Yes. In, in a good way. Of course. Yes, for sure, in a good way. Unless you're a man with something to hide. <laughs> I love. But that. yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 really it's really cool, you know. Um, that pretty much feels like it changed overnight, which is good because I think everyone realized. I, I don't know how it went on for so long. Well, like you know lots I mean? of like industries, it, it was male so dominated, long, right? And then just suddenly, just blew open with that with the Weinstein thing, and it's just it it's never going to go back. Like it will never go back. And as I know on the show I work on, Supergirl right now, um, they've made some immense changes there. Like I've seen some great uh, like women directors come in there, some newer directors, some newer writers. like And even women just, in lighting, which is was never yeah. common. Oh, well, exactly. It was like 10 years ago, women in lighting was like so, so rare. And it's changed so much. Now. Yeah, you have a couple right on your close-knit team now on yes. Supergirl, which is awesome. Yes, yeah, no, it's wonderful. So I mean, in in that in that aspect, yes, it's modernized so much, you know, and that that's even in a really short time, with uh, with bringing women into key positions. And how do you feel, kind of, about? I know a few years ago there was the whole Save BC Film hashtag yeah. Save BC Film, uh, and there was a you know a little bit of a lapse in work, of course, and concerns. You know, you can have feast or famine in film and TV. You never know yeah. when someone's going to pull. You know, a show gets canceled, or they they would have the one they pulled out and went back to to the states to do. Um, and a lot of stuff has moved to Georgia, yes, and southern United States, not just California. Yeah, and, and so that's states. That's states making huge concessions in their tax uh, tax system to try and lure producers to go shoot there instead of actually leaving the country. They call it runaway productions that come to Canada. They come here because they – well, right now they have a 30% gain on the exchange. Insane. Uh, BC government gives them a 28% cut 
on tax for labor, so that they don't pay any tax on it. They pay 5% tax on labor or something. And we just make way less an hour. So it's just, it's really... It's a free-for-all. It's really uh, a good opportunity for a lot of producers to come here. It's hard to say no to. It is. And there's varying, you know, landscapes. I know a lot of stuff in Alberta, which has seemed to be increasing, or maybe it's always been that way, but, um, you know, not everybody wants mountains and rain. No. Uh, but big, big movies tend to go to Alberta. That's what I'm noticing. Big, big ticket features like Interstellar, Revenant. Um, yeah, Revenant moved to Alberta and did some stuff there oh, too. Well, they did most, most, most of, uh, I would say only 10% probably shot in BC. I'd say 90%. I think it's because they Alberta. ran out of people to work on it in British Columbia. Nobody, yeah. so they had to go to a new province. Yeah. No, it's, Alberta's pretty sweet and they, it's got some beauty over there. Like, Definitely. So do you worry for the industry here? You think it's just going to get better and better or sustain? Or what are your personal thoughts? They're just personal thoughts. Personal thoughts. Deep personal thoughts Deep by personal Tony Dirks. Well, I mean, I, I think that it's, you know, it's going to stay exact. I mean, it's going to either grow or it'll probably stay the same. It's definitely more I mean, it's, competitive now, would you not say, with like more people want to get into film now? Yes, it's exactly And they've true. capitalized on more of the training. So, you know. As they should. Yeah, because, yeah, totally. You know, I mean, they they send out surveys in the union, and people just keep overwhelmingly. The members say, like, we need to start training young members because, you know, we've got like so many new members, and so many of them are just have no training. Well, yeah, because, because the there's not enough people. Grown, well, it's grown so fast, right? And so you have all the there's just there's a a lot of people in these positions that. They 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 just they just don't know what they're doing. Yeah, you know. Well, because some things require a lot of training, and then others don't. You can kind of sidestep your way in. Yeah. a little bit, right? Yeah, or you just get lucky, or yeah, you're right. Or you're right? a permittee, which is sort of what's a permittee? It's like someone who's not fully a fledged union member, but yeah, sort of like on the if we're totally desperate list kind of thing. That's right. Yeah. And then you, if you show up enough for that and get enough hours, you can actually get in the union. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, okay. Well, thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy day, Christmas vacation, to help your lovely wife have an episode, the first episode. Yes, you bet. Did you have a good time? I had a great time. Were you afraid? I was not afraid. <laughs> You're not afraid of me anyway. I'm, well, I am a little bit, as every <laughs> man should be, have a little fear of his own wife. But also, we're recording this, so I'm safe. <laughs> it's true. Anything can come out and post. Uh, last question. What's the best meal you've ever had on set? Oh, interesting, interesting. It doesn't have to be the best meal, but it was the best to you. Wow. Um, do you know, I would actually, there, there's a couple. First off, I will say, for some, one night we were shooting on the X-Files and the, the grilled cheese truck came. Cindy's grilled cheese truck. <laughs> and it was like, it was Maybe amazing. it was the Revenant grilled cheese. Uh, what? It might have been the Revenant grilled cheese that Leonardo <laughs> loved so much. Yeah, no, it was your your brother's friend. Cindy, Cindy. Hamilton. Yes, yeah, a legend a, in the city. Yeah, it's crafty. A but class she, act. She has a anyways, so she came one night at like two in the morning or something and it was rain. Anyways, it was it was incredible. That's when grilled cheese tastes the and, best. And with the, the beautiful thick Texas toast grilled cheese came a whole beautiful pickle. Oh man. And I was just so happy. I'll never forget it was just so good. Yeah. Comfort. But, our little Christmas meal we just had on Supergirl before we came, uh, before we had the time off, was was unbelievable. 
And that was truffles, fine foods. They did a full spread, seafood. They did. Yes, they had everything, much of which I don't actually eat, but it was nice to look at. And the stuff that I did eat was just incredible. So, any, um, what about craziest weather? Any, any moments stand out? I mean, we talked about some weather already, but it was indoor weather with sprinklers. Right. That was indoor weather. <laughs> I like, Man-made I like weather. how you say that. Yeah, that's true. Um, some weather. Yeah. I mean, uh, actually, Oh, I don't want to talk about that. Why? Because it's dangerous. <laughs> Why? But now I'm intrigued. But, uh, well, just the other night I had to come down in the lift because I felt the biggest burst of wind that I'd ever felt in a lift in 12 years. That's insane. And yeah, so we had a windstorm right here yeah, in we Vancouver. we had a big windstorm the other night. And I, was, I wasn't even what, what they call full stick, which means all the way up. I was still going up at the time. And a huge gust of wind came so hard and pushed me like it literally – pushed me up against a control panel and I went on the radio and said, I'm coming down. I hate and these that stories. That's why you don't tell me these because I, I don't. lose That's my right. shit when I and find so out. It was, you know, yeah. So I came down and didn't go back up for the whole rest of the night and spent the rest of the night on the ground. So that's a pretty nasty wind yeah. uh, story. It's always wind. Wind is the wind is the killer. It always is. It blows our tents around. It's just it's it's you can film in anything else, but when the wind gets high enough you're getting into trouble. Where stuff. where's one of your favorite locations to shoot in the city? Um Do you have any favorites? That's neat. These questions are good. Well, you know, I try. I I like shooting at I like shooting at UBC other than that it's quite hard to get there from where I live. It's a, it's on, it's on the far side of the city, but I do love shooting there. And I believe it's part of me is just the fact that I never went to university and I think that being on a campus makes me I don't know, like harking for something I never had or something or maybe you know, but I also just really love UBC. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful campus, and I don't know. I just always really like shooting there. Any last words of wisdom for anybody wanting to get into film? Uh, You've had a lot of people ask. You know, people come from other countries, young people that we know, relatives have moved to Vancouver and moved back and that kind of thing. Do you have any last pieces of advice? Yes. When you're standing at the crafty table and it's 8 p.m. and you ask yourself, do I really need this 17th cup of coffee? Don't have the coffee. <laughs> Listen to your inner voice. That's good. Thank you, Tony Dirk. Thank you, Colby Spencer. For joining us. Uh, you might be back. We'll see. I might do some segments and I'll invite you back. Because okay. you do have a plethora of film knowledge generally. I generally, I do, yes. You're a bit of a film buff, a known film buff. And, known? Well, around your small circle of friends and family. But I feel like you could probably, we could just chat about film. Oh, for sure. You know? We could just chat. Like, we could just talk about, like, our marriage and stuff, too. Like, we could. if you want. That might be we boring for okay. most people. Okay. I don't know if they'd be that interested in it, but maybe that's a different podcast. It, it might be. We're going to edit this part out. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs>